Aber Spakor. Eli Ertenimor. TF Green. Well, good morning, Menlo Church. So glad to be with you as we are uh, kind of joining together from all of our uh, Bay Area campuses and our online community. We are beginning a new series in preparation for Easter, a season that actually Christians have called Lent and kind of been using throughout church history to get ready uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And before we get started, I'm going to pray for us. If you've never been here before, never heard me speak, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that is because this preparation that we long for us to, to, to experience together, uh, the, the Bible says that God responds in our humility. And so whatever that means for you in the room, watching online at one of our campuses, would you just take a moment, humble yourself, and let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that we can trust you. We can trust you with moments like this, no matter what circumstances we walked into this room with or the room we're in or watching online, you knew and you were with us. Would you help us, God, to set aside the noise and to be able to listen to you with fresh ears and hearts open for what you have? It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I wonder uh, if you could tell me what is your favorite fast food restaurant? Some of you, that like is kind of a guilty pleasure, so you wouldn't tell me, but if you could, you would have an answer, right? Maybe it's McDonald's, maybe it's Burger King, maybe it's In-N-Out, Shake Shack, although that one's like the price of a steak restaurant, so I'm not sure that it counts. As I've gotten older, uh, I've eaten less and less fast food, mostly because my body does not respond well to it. Like my mouth loves it, but the rest of me does not, you know? Maybe that's you, our physical uh, kind of reality as people, I'm more aware now of what I eat and when I eat it because of how it makes me feel, especially late at night. I can't get away with what I used to. Can you relate? If you can't yet, you will soon, just so you know. <laughs> Take advantage of it while you can. Our physical bodies, they're a part of how we connect with God because they're a part of who we are. And the parallels between our physical hunger and our spiritual appetite are really strong, and we're going to explore those together. Dan Allender, who's a counselor, he says it this way. He says, we often settle for a hot dog rolling in the dirt when God has a perfectly prepared steak waiting for us. And I know that the Bay Area reference that would probably make more sense to you would be if he had said, we are settling for the weeds on the ground when there is a perfectly created kale salad and impossible meat patty next to it <laughs> waiting for you. But you get the point, right? We settle for speed over substance all the time. Christian or not, that's just a part of our culture. This weekend, we are beginning a series where we are working to leverage physical hunger for our spiritual appetite. Throughout church history, the 40 days leading up to Easter are used as a period of preparation for personal reflection and spiritual growth. And that's how we long to use it as a community as well. Christians have historically chosen to fast or give something up to deepen their appreciation and anticipation of Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection for the reconciliation of mankind. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection was all about. We're going to spend time on weekends teaching through Jesus' last words, but that's not all we're doing. We will work together as a community through the Last Words Lent devotional that you can find at your campus today as well as find it online. 
We're going to offer resources and encouragement through taking a step in fasting. And if you're interested in that, we have some resources there. And then we're going to continue to release resources like the Menlo Midweek and Meditations podcast to help you even throughout the week experience this and grow more in this season. Now, a major connection to the life of Jesus is the Lenten season, or what it actually means is springtime, which is this picture from Jesus having fasted for 40 days of preparation before his public ministry began. He did this as something that's been called a supernatural fast, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So this week, we will actually begin our last words series in some of the very first words that Jesus said in his ministry. And after talking about fast food, let me offer a quick disclaimer. Lent doesn't mean you have to fast from food. It can mean anything. And if you didn't think I thought of some ways to make that fast food, fasting from food, I did, but I held them back. It's discernment, self-control. If you have health concerns though, or your relationship with food maybe has been complicated in the past and you feel like fasting, uh, maybe for you, it could bring up some past wounds or some patterns that you are not known are not healthy. It may be better for you to find something else to fast from. And the principles that we're gonna talk about from physical fasting, from fasting from food, are still relevant when you choose something else in your life to fast from as well. In addition, my wife would tell you that food is fuel. And we want to be careful that we aren't using fasting to vilify some foods and not other foods, that we want to make sure that we're not combining a spiritual motivation for connecting with God in fasting with a physical motivation. In other words, we are not today kicking off the Menlo Church diet plan. That's not what we're doing. This is about something different than that. Put simply, what we are going to discover together is that fasting brings focus. Fasting brings focus. In the life of Jesus, we're going to see this played out throughout his story of fasting and preparation for public ministry. And it starts for him when hunger helps. And actually, I think that's something that we need as well, because oftentimes we solve these needs in us so quickly, we would never know it. When I was younger, I was a Boy Scout and uh, I spent some summers in the Adirondack Mountains. And as a part of that experience, I did wilderness survival training. And some of you are like, really, Phil, you don't seem like the kind of person that could do that. That's hurtful. I just want you to know that. (laughs) Sometimes when you were doing it, you could forage. You could find things that you knew were edible, places that you knew were safe, water that was okay. But in other times, if it was a place you were unfamiliar with, you couldn't because it was all too dangerous and you were unfamiliar. And so there were days that I would go without food or water. And the vulnerability and hunger that you feel in those moments is really clarifying. The choices about what you do or even what you think about become really intentional because you can feel your physical strength shrinking. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at Jesus' fast that's recorded by Matthew, who's a former tax collector turned Jesus follower in the first century church. He begins this profound experience of describing Jesus' fast and temptation this way. He says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That feels like a little bit of an understatement, doesn't it? Jesus had just been baptized by this really interesting character, John the Baptizer. We call him John the Baptist. And uh, there was this dove that came down, a voice from heaven. Everything seemed amazing. It was up and to the right. He was riding high. There was a ton of buzz. He was about to go viral when, as Jesus would often do, he pulled away from the crowd. Except this time, he heads to the wilderness, most likely the Judean wilderness, just to the west of the Jordan, about a 35 by 15 mile region. It was not lush. 
there was nobody that was looking for an Airbnb in this location. Nobody was selecting this for their vacation or spirit quest. But it turns out for Jesus, ironically, that's exactly why he went there, was this preparation. For him, it was about something deeper that God wanted to do in his life. And Christians, there's this important component to what we just read that I want to break down for you. Christians, over the course of the last couple millennia, have understood God in something called the Trinity, that there is one God in three persons. And I'm just going to say, hold on with me for just a second. These three persons of this one God exist as co-eternal, co-existing, and co-equal persons of the Godhead. Are you confused yet? Just take notes. It'll make sense later. In other words, uh, while they serve different functions, we serve a God who is three in one and models the importance of connection and community in the nature of his very existence. I share that with you because we see two members of that Trinity show up uniquely in the setup of this story, that God the Holy Spirit leads God the Son into the wilderness in order to be tempted. Now, it's important for us to just let that marinate. God does not tempt Jesus. God the Father does not tempt Jesus, but he does use the temptation. God never tempts anybody, but he will use temptation and trial in your and my life. Oftentimes we want the blessing without the battle, but usually it's the work that God wants to do through endurance that counts most. Not only did God the Holy Spirit send Jesus to be tempted, but it was also going to be after a 40-day fast, which most scholars believe, since we read he was hungry, uh, talk about that understatement, he had most likely only had water for 40 days. And so if you ever think, like, I'm not sure Jesus can relate to me, this is underscoring the nature that Jesus was fully God and actually fully man. And you're like, I've been hangry before. Jesus is like, me too, right? Now, this extended fast is sometimes referred to as a supernatural fast because it required supernatural power to endure. This is not the kind of fast that we're talking about. For some of you, you have never really fasted in your life. And so for you, it's going to be a meal, not a month, you know? And I'm saying if, if fasting brings focus, what kind of focus must Jesus have needed to begin his public ministry by fasting for 40 days? And it turns out that a part of the plan was that Jesus needed this kind of focus to begin his ministry because the temptation we're about to see is the tip of the iceberg, that over the course of the next three years, he would face scrutiny, difficulty, challenges, trials, and temptations before he, his reward for being faithful for those three years would be to die on our behalf and then to come back from the grave. And so you realize like, oh, he needed this. This was always a part of the plan. Now, for you, I wonder, did you know that like when you pick up your phone or you grab your iPad or when you're on your computer and it starts to run low on battery, did you know this, that, is that stressful? Did I just trigger some of you right there? <laughs> some people online that are watching full screen are like, I thought my phone was fully charged. I have no idea what just happened. That when that happens on your device, on your computer, on your iPad, on your phone, your phone, your device starts to make decisions about what functions are core. So there are certain things that's like, well, I know I need to do this. I know this part needs to work. And it starts to make focus decisions, concentration decisions. And while you're not a battery, it is true for you too that fasting brings focus. When you feel this physical weakness, it can direct you with a spiritual appetite towards God's strength. See, the Son of God, He's been living on earth at this point for 30 years. 
fully God and fully man. He had been through so many different milestones of life to get ready, but as he's about to step onto the stage of his public ministry, what he needed to experience is what many of us do, which is he needed to experience identity formation through temptation. That oftentimes to really affirm and confirm that you are who you say you are, that you believe what you say you believe is when rubber meets the road. It's when you face temptation. I know that for many of us, we don't really want to talk about Satan. He feels like a weird holdover from a version of faith that we've outgrown. But I would argue that's exactly what he wants you to think and believe about him. From an excellent book uh, called The Screwtape Letters, author C.S. Lewis cautions us this way. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. See, he's using this term devils to describe the group of fallen angels that support Satan in his efforts to destroy your life if you're not a Christian and to discredit your faith if you are. You may not know this, but the chess game of human reality has already been checkmated by God. He has already secured the victory. And so now this fallen angel, Satan, is trying to do whatever damage he can with as much time as he has left. And he is just fine to watch you make the mistakes as a part of it. See, Satan, he isn't everywhere. He doesn't know everything. And he's probably never tempted you personally. He is not a member of the Trinity. Sometimes in your life, you're affected by the systems that he purports, but you are rarely ever as a person in life impacted by his individual reality, probably by a force beyond him. But in the life of Jesus, after 40 days of fasting, he is directly tempted by Satan. And we see these three temptations from Satan to Jesus in this passage. And they aren't original. Satan is never original, just so you know. But we get to see how Jesus responds to these temptations. And I think that's so important for us. The first one that he tempts Jesus with is this. It says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So after three decades of living on earth that he created and 40 days without food, Satan actually questions Jesus' identity. And he uses this construct that's pretty common for Satan, this if-then construct. And you should listen for it in your life too. When someone questions your identity, who you really know you are, and they say, if you are this kind of a husband, if you are this kind of a wife, if you will be this kind of a person that really stands up for what is true and right, then prove it. And so Satan is saying to Jesus, if you really are the son of God, then prove it. See, it's not really that Jesus couldn't do the thing that Satan was talking about. It's that the motivation was wrong. And he knew that. Jesus reminds Satan of something that he already knew in response. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't know about you, but if I had not eaten any food for 40 days, I don't think that's the verse that's coming to mind. You know, like I do need some food right now. But Jesus, he had been referring to this book in the Hebrew scriptures where God had led his people, Israel, through 40 years in the wilderness. 
See, Jesus had spent time letting that soak over him. Jesus had spent time in three decades of his life as fully man and fully God, actually memorizing it. He didn't have the Bible memorized intuitively. He had to put in that energy and that effort. He grew and matured over time. Jesus is basically saying, this is nothing. If God could do this for his people for 40 years, I'm not going to prove myself to you. And you watching that baptism in the last 40 days of faithfulness, it should have already proved it for you. It's not that this wasn't tempting. I'm sure that it was. If you've ever tried a no-carb diet, how good does bread sound? Like so good, right? Now imagine a no-calorie diet. How good would bread sound? That's what Jesus is experiencing. But he had created focus to understand the spiritual nature of the battle ahead. Ultimately, we see we see this picture that Satan is going to tempt Jesus in these three ways, to doubt his identity, to doubt God's plan, and his last temptation is really what's at the heart of all of them. And he's promising Jesus all the world. He gives him this vision where he can see all the kingdoms, and he says, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me, which I'm sure to Jesus felt kind of hilarious because Jesus, as the agent of creation, had made all of those. And whatever authority Satan had in the moment was a borrowed temporary authority, but he was offering him a shortcut, which is usually what temptation promises and never delivers. And that's true for you too. Satan and temptation want you to worship something or someone other than God. Satan would prefer you worship him directly, but he'll settle for anything or anyone other than God. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. And the reason that God takes so seriously the object that we worship is because what we worship has to hold our weight. And when we worship something or someone other than God, God knows that it will crush underneath our weight. It will hurt us and it will hurt others that we love. So worshiping him, he is the only one that can actually hold us. I know that maybe all this feels a little overwhelming or irrelevant to you. You're like, when will I go on a 40 day fast to be directly tempted by Satan? Probably not. But what about the minor compromises that you're thinking about right now? What about the business deals you want to cut corners on? What about the paper that you're going to have Chad GPT write for you? What about the conversations that you're going to gossip about and then rationalize? What about those areas of relationship that's just one degree, one degree, one degree, one degree, and you think, I'm not that far off. If you're a follower of Jesus, these temptations of finding identity in something other than your standing as a child of God taking the wheel of your life and ignoring God's plan, choosing to focus lesser things, those are the temptations that we face every single day. See, Jesus, he responds with scripture and firm confidence in his identity and his purpose. I wonder for you, do you have a practice of Bible study and prayer regularly in your life that holds up when these temptations come? Have you spent time articulating who you are and what your purpose is as a child of God before anything else? It's been said in our time that identity is the new idolatry. What identity beyond being a child of God created in the image of God with infinite dignity, value, and worth are you tempted to make your primary identity? This is true for all of us. This is so easy to let creep in. This is why I ask that you call me Phil and not Pastor Phil, 
This is why those little perks and favors that sometimes happen in the life of pastors, or what I like to call professional Christians, it's why I push so hard on them. It's why I don't want them. It's not because I don't like them. It's because I do like them. It's because I know what lives inside of me and the tendency to let one temptation become another temptation become another temptation, and you have it too. Maybe for you, taking this season to fast from something will bring that competing identity to the surface because fasting brings focus. We are living with so little focus because we live with so little appetite. Finally, we see the last interaction between Jesus and the devil, and and Jesus models this. He models what it means to fight to the finish. Fighting to the finish is core to what it means for us. If you're a follower of Jesus or you're thinking about becoming one, I wonder for you, what's the last really difficult thing that you gave up on? Over the course of the pandemic, lots of us tried different things. You tell me, how many of you tried reading over the course of the pandemic? You were like, I'm going to become a reader. Anybody? How many of you said, uh, I'm going to start working out? Anybody start working out in the pandemic? You guys look great, so I'm assuming that's all of you. How about crafting? Yeah, I see a few hands. DIY projects that you're like, I'm going to really get that thing done around the house. Baking. I see some hands. Baking is a big one. Gardening, you have better looking gardens than you ever, at least you did a couple years ago, right? Writing, learning a new language. For some of you are like, those were all really hard, but I, what I really committed to was binging that show and I did it. I, admit, I did it, I achieved it, <laughs> binged the whole thing, right? But just because you started something doesn't mean you finished it. I learned to swim pretty late in life. I was a teenager when I learned to swim and Uh, In college, I was on staff at a camp where part of my job, I had to become lifeguard certified. Thank God I never had to do anything with that certification. That would have been unwise. But a part of becoming certified is that I had to swim 25 laps and I had learned how to swim at all, like a single lap pretty recently. (laughs) And so I remember that spring, I trained with a friend and got better at swimming. And then finally the test comes You've done everything else. It's at the end of the week. I dive into the water and I just start swimming for what feels like eternity. And it kind of was because I was slower than everybody else. Some people had given up. Some people had finished. I was last one in the water. I'm swimming. I'm swimming. I'm swimming. And on my 23rd lap, I hit my head against the end of the pool. Yeah. And as I kind of like stutter a little bit, stammer a little bit, kind of start going back the other way, my camp director says, you know what? You can do this another time. You don't have to do this now. But I clarified, did you mean I can swim my last two laps? <laughs> he said, no, you can swim all 25 again. And I thought, you know what? I'm dizzy, but I'm not that dizzy. We're going we're gonna to finish these two up. Some of you, you are on lap 23 in some areas of spiritual growth and formation in your life. You're so tempted to quit. Some of you actually, over the course of your life for decades, you have gotten really good at swimming 23 laps. When things get difficult, when you bang your head, when it gets overwhelming, when you fail, you quit. And I'm telling you, you are just so close. You're so close to a spiritual breakthrough. If you would say, God, I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to keep going through the struggle, the sin, the suffering. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to let somebody in. For some of you, you think it goes on forever because you just haven't finished that race. See, Jesus, he had just finished this fast, but he hadn't eaten anything yet. He was just listening to and responding to the temptation of Satan. And at this point, he is so physically tired 
40 days without eating, he would have been physically emaciated. His skin would have been turning gray. He would have been trying to find ways to respond to Satan in just the right amount of words with the right amount of focus, given the amount of strength that he had less. And as Satan offers this final, this is what I really wanted all the time, just worship me. Jesus, you can kind of see him powering up with the last remaining amount of physical strength. And he says, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. A slightly inappropriate paraphrase of what Jesus just said could have been Satan, go to hell. See, Jesus, he quotes a passage from the Hebrew scriptures that is one of the most common passages that a Jewish man or woman would have known at the time. It would be like asking today for Christians to recite John 3.16. It was ubiquitous. Satan knew that he was out of options. He was desperate. It was this last ditch attempt. But Jesus, even physically weakened, was spiritually strengthened. And he kept persevering. He was fighting to the finish. After this incredibly difficult fast and the temptation that followed it, Satan left and the angels came and they ministered to him. We don't get a detailed explanation of what that's worth, but some of you, you need this hope right now. Angels still do this today. You are not battling alone. You have God, the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the presence of the Spirit around you and you have an arsenal, a legion of angelic creatures who are helping. Rather than giving up, what if you kept up your faith? kept fighting temptation, kept fighting for your marriage, kept fighting for that friendship, kept fighting the things that are pulling you back from God to patterns and paths that you know will distract you until they destroy you. What if you didn't give up this week? Some of you, you don't face those temptations. Your temptations are more internal. They're easier to rationalize. They're easier to justify. They're deeper inside of you. And the battle that you're losing to is this question, are you a Christian or a critic? And we've justified it, we've rationalized it. Well, if I'm gonna be a really thoughtful Christian, this is what it means, but this one's hard because it usually stays internal longer. And, and this thing about God, right? We can go, God, I'm not sure you're really worthy of praise. I'm not sure this moment is. This moment's imperfect, this ministry's imperfect, this personality might be imperfect, but how quickly before we've gone from profit to pundit. Fasting can help bring that kind of focus. In our nation right now, on the East Coast, there is something happening at Asbury. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may be paying attention to it in the news. And people are wondering, is this a revival? And some of you, if you're, if you're wondering, for some of you, you're not just going, I don't know if that's really a revival. For some of you, you've let cynicism take such a deep root in you, you're actually rooting for it to not be one. Because if it is, God might be doing something you have to do something about. And I would just encourage you, let God work in you in that place too. This isn't all of us. If I were to become a keyboard warrior on Twitter and Facebook, can't believe that God is doing anything that's worthy of praise, what would that look like? How much would I give up? How much would you give up if you let cynicism and bitterness take root in you? For many of us, the first exposure that we had to fasting was actually in March of 2020. And I know I'm not making a political statement. None of us really want to think about that month, but um, we all sort of experienced this lockdown fasting moment 
together. And I wonder, what was the thing that you missed first or that you missed most? You were fasting that thing. Maybe it was a restaurant that you were going to, or maybe it was the gym. <laughs> maybe for you, it was uh, a travel, uh, like an experience that you had, you were gonna travel for a trip. Maybe it was a big holiday milestone celebration. Maybe it was the office that had become normal. Maybe it was school that you had assumed was unshakable. Somebody reminded me last service that one of the things many of us had to fast that we weren't signing up for was toilet paper. We, we fasted toilet paper for a while. We all fasted some things, some for a short time, some for a long time, and we watched how it focused us on the things that we could do. That's what fasting often does. It brings focus for us. And when we fast with Jesus in mind, it can bring focus on him. Alyssa and I were so desperate for some sense of normal, we were experiencing an anniversary. And so we went to a steakhouse and got uh, to-go steakhouse meals and ate them in my car in a parking lot, you know, like fancy people. I brought steak knives from home. <laughs> this was like plastic fork that can break with a steak knife. It was a great combination. We took a walk on a little pavement thing, got back in the car and went home, right? We were just so desperate for normal. And Menlo Church, you can do this. You can fast. You can choose some things to give up. 2020 wasn't voluntary, but this one is. And I hope for some of you, you'll step into some resources that's, that are more than just a weekend. For some of you, that's weekend messages. I'm glad you're here. For some of you, that's going to be a Menlo Midweek and Meditation Podcast. For some of you, that's the Lent devotional books that are available at our campuses or online today. For some of you, it's going to be choosing to fast something, maybe a meal, food. And I want to give you just a couple tips about that. Number one, if you've never fasted before, start small. The smaller we pick, usually the more sustainable it can be. It's like a muscle. If you've never flexed it before, start small. Uh, also, maybe it's a type of food. Now, um, don't pick a type of food that you already don't like, okay? God sees you. <laughs> if you ever hear me fasting from pickles, I'm a liar because I hate pickles. I've fasted from pickles my whole life, actually. Also, if there's a specific meal that you go, hey, on this day, I'm going to skip this meal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that physical appetite to create spiritual focus. Maybe for you, the thing that you're going to fast from is technology, social media. You need to delete an app from your phone. Some of you, you actually need to delete not a social media app. You need to delete an app uh, called Amazon, right? We just, we just let consumer perspective bleed into everywhere in our life. And then one that maybe to think about would be a certain conversation. I tried this in college, have done it a few times since. It's where you just take a day and you say, I'm not going to initiate conversation or elaborate conversation beyond what's necessary. It's not like a vow of silence, but it's, I'm not going to start conversations. And when someone asks me a question, I give them the answer to their question and then I stop. And it will show you, maybe just me, but it will show you, I think, just how much we want to assert control in our conversation. But Menlo, as we finish, I want to ask you this question. What's your comfort show? What's the show that you go back to when you aren't sure what other show to watch? Do you have one of those? For me, it's the show The Office. That is, at least until Steve Carell leaves the show, then I don't care about it. But I know that show. I could quote lines from Dwight or Michael Scott pretty easily. I could describe pranks, like when Jim, sort of the class clown of The Office, added one coin at a time to Dwight's phone handset. And then he removed all of them at once. And he, you watch Dwight hit himself in the face with a handset. It was hilarious, right? I have binged that show many times. And whether I want to admit it or not, it has shaped me a little bit. 
That show is not helping me, but it has shaped me. I think that God can use fasting and focusing in this season just like how he did with Jesus. Jesus had binged the Hebrew scriptures for decades. And when pressure was applied, treasure was supplied. That's how it works. Church, what comes out of a sponge when you squeeze it? Whatever is inside of it. When pressure comes into your life, whatever is inside is what will drain out. Pastor and author Dustin Messer highlights the importance of this practice together this way. He says, we fast because Satan is hungry and his meal of choice is us. In case you have forgotten, this is a battle we're in together. Fasting reminds us just like Jesus shared that we don't live by our own strength, by our own power, by our own money. We ultimately live by God's power alone, whether we're taking it for granted or not. And fasting, us, fasting allows us to turn down the noise and be reminded of that. And if you're not a Christian and you're like, I just don't even know if I believe in God, I would say pick a meal to skip, pick something to fast. Try this same experience with us and ask God to speak to you uniquely in that experience. So Menlo Church, let's pray that we would stand firm in temptation, that we would grow in faith in this season and that we would fast like never before as we experience Lent together. God, thank you. Thank you for these moments that we get together. Thank you for every person in this room, on one of our campuses, watching online. God, would you speak to us so clearly that we can't miss it? Would you guide us so clearly that just like with Jesus, even if it's to a difficult place, to a difficult season, to something we wouldn't have signed up for on our own, that we really can believe you are with us and we will be obedient to it. God, would you help us, even in this season, to bring so much focus to our faith that when life squeezes us, it finds you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.